with me being an Enneagram 8, which means I am a challenger, if you didn't know, challengers often use their voice for the voiceless. So we're kind of crusaders of justice. And one way I have always used my voice is for children. My personality or my soul, whatever it is, there's this deep fire in me that wants to protect and defend children because they are innocent and a lot of times they can't fend for themselves. They can't protect themselves, which is why, of course, they're shamed and they're bullied or they're hit or they're um, smacked on the butt. What's it called? (laughs) Spanking. They are spanked because they are innocent and they can't fight back or they're hit because they can't fight back. They are small and innocent and they can't defend themselves until they are teenagers and they can. But my personality is always working for children, trying to help adults see children's viewpoints or perspectives is something I'm so passionate about and I'm doing this podcast right now today because I was in line to get blood work done this morning and I was in a line outside we were not inside we were in a line outside of a building and there was this eight-year-old ish little girl in front of me and there was these rocks outside just five feet from the path, the line that we were standing in. And this eight-year-old little girl just wandered to these rocks and just, they were, they were like less than 12 inches high off the ground. She was just like walking on these rocks and the dad's like, hey, stop doing that. Come, come stand by me. And then eventually she went and stood by him and then started walking circles around him. Because it's so hard for children to sit still and stand straight in a line without moving. That's just against their nature. And then she started walking circle, circles around her dad. And then he's like, stop it. Stand next to me. Don't, don't move. And I watched this little girl be stripped of joy. She was just trying to find a little joy while standing in a line. Kids are so drawn to rocks. They want to pick one up. They want to climb on them because they're so drawn to playfulness and they just want to find joy wherever they go. She was just trying to find joy while standing in a line and the adult next to her stripped her of that. And this could come across as I am judging a parent when I'm not a parent. But yes, yes, I am. And judging is very, it's an important step in critiquing what we want in our life. So I look at that situation and I judge it because I don't want to live like that. And I don't believe in living like that. So I don't, and I know being a parent is not going to be easy. And I know I will never be perfect. That's not the point. But Through observing other people, I learn what I believe and what I don't believe. So I watched 
this scenario happen this morning. And by judging it, I then learn, wow, adults strip joy out of every situation. Children are just trying to find joy and playfulness from standing in a line. And adults strip that from them. I personally don't think that's okay. And that's okay if you disagree. But we all need the capacity to judge, to figure out what we want, what we don't want, what we believe and what we don't believe. Judging is a critical part in gaining clarity. So I contrast the experience I saw this morning to some of my friends. So I have this one friend who I really, really, really respect in how she raises her children. She posts these cute videos. There was this one recently where they were waiting in a car dealership waiting room. And I think it was a private room, but it it didn't really look like it. But she was just taking a video of her children making a make-believe kitchen out of chairs. And then they were playing Elsa and Anna at a different area of the waiting room. And then they played this and then they played that. And they, in the video, I watched them play like four different scenarios of make-believe and creativity in a waiting room. It was amazing to witness and watch my friend just let her children be creative and have fun and find joy in a waiting room. Their creativity is never ending. It is so amazing to watch. It is so inspiring to watch. And she lets them. She doesn't shut down their creativity or their need to find joy in a waiting room. And I really, really, really respect that. And so I judge her as, wow, I respect this and I love this and I want this. I believe in parenting this way. I believe in letting children find joy in the simplest things. And it doesn't mean that it's always going to be possible. Sometimes, you know, in life there is a serious moment and they have to listen to your boundary for whatever reason. I'm not saying the perfect parent lets the child have joy in every single moment in every single situation, but to find to allow them as much joy as you can, that is the goal, in my opinion, because I think a child's superpower is finding joy and happiness and creativity and playfulness through the smallest, tiniest, little scenarios. Like standing in a line. Like waiting in a waiting room. Adults have fully lost this capacity. They have fully lost this skill. This is a child's superpower. So there's a short essay that I discovered about a year and a half ago, written by a mom, that just really stopped me in my tracks. It was just a really impactful piece of writing that I want to share with you. We want our children to do well in life. 
so we prepare them for the real world. With the best of intentions, we sign them up for extracurricular activities, shuttle them to playdates, and expect them to catch up to our frenetic pace. Already I say to my toddler, we don't have time, can we please just hurry up? I am not going to ask again. We can do that later. These nagging phrases fall out of the same mouth that kisses her goodnight, and it doesn't feel good to either of us. I blame my tension headache on the fact that she's resisting me. After all, these lessons and playdates and parent and me classes, I'm doing it all for her, to prepare her for school and socialization. And wait a minute, is that true? Am I really doing this for her? Or am I terrified of slowing down myself and remembering the moment-to-moment world I abandoned decades ago? Perhaps my mom stress actually comes from the deeper truth that I'm trying to ignore. My imagined agenda does not matter as much as my actual child. The bad feeling that arises when we're running late somewhere and she's meditatively picking up every leaf on the sidewalk is not rooted in her resistance to hurrying up, but my resistance to slowing down. My child is shepherding me back to the real world I've neglected because I've been too busy constructing an imaginary world of future accomplishments and external validation and Pinterest boards of what our lives should look like. I have so many ideas for a little backyard that I haven't gotten around to, but my child begs me to stop and admire it just as it is. Sitting on the back steps, she spots a dead ant five feet away. How is a kid's eyesight that good? She puts her little hand in mine. Her little round belly fills with breath. She is my guide to the real world. The actual real world. That piece of writing leaves me speechless every time I read it. It was written by Ellie Nas. I don't know if that's how you pronounce her last name from AtomicMoms.com. That writing encapsulates exactly what I believe and how I believe. That children are trying to get us to slow down into the present moment and to show us the real world that we miss in our busy, busy, busy busyness. They love to touch and taste and smell and see and experience everything. They are so absorbed into their environment. And then obviously some things aren't safe for them to taste or touch. And so, you know, adults are like, no, 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 don't taste this. Don't put this in your mouth. Don't touch this. No, 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 no. We just strip them of their experience. And so it's probably just all about balance. You know, trying to provide them an environment in which it is safe to touch and to taste things instead of just constantly, constantly stripping all the joy, all the happiness, all the playfulness, all of the experience out of their moment. The second piece of writing that is my favorite is from one of my favorite books, Magdalene's Well by Saga Rose. And supposedly it was spoken by Jesus, Yeshua. 
whether you want to believe that or not, that's up to you. But this paragraph is so, so good. You can judge it for yourself. He says, These children are more wise than many of you, my friends. They find joy naturally, and they totally give themselves up to this feeling often and lighten the burden of all who are nearby. They do the work you cannot or will not do. You adults, with your minds thinking of what you need to do next or what others may be thinking about you or any other nonsense, you cannot then enjoy the moment because you are so scattered in your thoughts and concerns. You miss the blessings that surround you every day and the opportunities they afford. You have lost your innocence, your trust, and your joy. God's greatest joy is seeing you joyful. Why did you leave your ability to pretend, to laugh, to play, and to dance in the glee of joy behind you as you grew into adult years? What happened to the joy of your work? For it is not joyful to be of service to all. Someone told you to be serious about life, no doubt. Or if they didn't tell you, they demonstrated the role themselves as they separated the children from those grown into responsibility that they deemed so great and stoic. I tell you this day, you will not understand God and you will not find your way home unless you find your true joy again. Find the child within yourself or find a child and follow that child's example and you will discover the most important emotion you were gifted to feel and experience, joy. So if you have a child or you are around a child today, I want you to try to notice and appreciate how the child is creative or how a child finds joy from a plastic spoon or cardboard box Try to notice how they found joy from the most mundane, simplest thing or the most mundane waiting room or environment because this is their superpower. They show us how to find joy and how to access our creativity in the most simplest of situations and in the most simplest ways. They certainly don't need money to be happy because almost all parents see that all the toys that the child is given, a lot of times the child just wants the car keys instead or they just want the wooden spoon and the pot or pan from the kitchen and just bang on that. They don't need a play drum. They could just, you know, make their own drum. This is, this is their superpower. The next topic I want to cover is something that I wrote out on my Instagram, my Vienna Glenn Instagram this week about, or last week, and it was about how in our culture, it's very common to mock all the ways in which children are crazy. Like, children get mad or cry if you peel their banana because they wanted to peel it. Or they might scream because you buckled their seatbelt when they wanted to buckle it or they're crying because they were served the blue cup when they really wanted the red cup and the examples are obviously endless because (laughs) they have a growing brain 
They're growing in every single way. They're new to earth. They're trying to figure out how to be human. They have all of these feelings inside their body and they don't know what these feelings are or how to handle them or how to communicate them. You know, sometimes they just know what they want, like the blue cup. They just want the blue cup or the red cup. And sometimes they don't know what they want. And we expect them to know what they want at all times. But as adults, we don't always know what we want. You know, we, we go to a restaurant and we look at the menu and we sit there in indecision. We don't know what we want. Children don't always know what they want. So it's really common to laugh and mock all, at all these ways children are just so ridiculous and so crazy. As if adults are on, these, on this pedestal. And as if we're sane, as if we're not crazy, because I watch adults huff and puff about standing in a line at the post office. I have seen that. (laughs) I've I've witnessed that myself. God forbid you got to stand in a line. Or a stranger walks across someone's lawn. That is not okay. You cannot walk across my lawn. Or you're driving on the highway and, you know, a car is driving five miles per hour below the speed limit. That is, that is a sin. That is just, that's horrendous. Or they don't use their blinker when they're changing lanes. These are ways in which adults have little tantrums or big tantrums. People with road rage have big tantrums over a car driving slow. How is that not crazy? How is that okay? How is that acceptable? Adults are crazy. Other ways that I have realized adults are crazy is that we knowingly, purposely drink or poison. We poison ourselves with alcohol or drugs. Alcohol is a poison and we knowingly and purposely poison ourselves just to feel a little better. How is that normal? How is that not crazy? Or some adults strip down naked with a stranger to try to have some inner validation or self-worth. Other adults might spank their child to try to teach them not to hit. Some adults hit their child to teach them not to hit. Some adults tantrum on an airplane because a baby is communicating in the only way they know how to, crying. Some adults tantrum over a little baby crying instead of having empathy that that's the only way this baby knows how to communicate. They don't know words. They don't know how to speak. Some adults bring their child to therapy instead of going to therapy themselves. Some adults smoke cigarettes knowing it causes cancer. Some adults project their heart pain onto strangers on social media. They bully people on social media just because they're in so much pain. 
some adults purposely withhold love from their partner, like giving them the silent treatment, which is stonewalling. Some adults withhold their love from their partner to purposely manipulate them or to get revenge or make them hurt. That's a pretty common thing adults do. And that's pretty crazy. I honestly urge you to make a mental list of all the things that anger you or annoy you today and then uh, then reflect on it and you will probably notice how crazy that stuff actually is. When you're, pre- when you're looking at it in this new lens, the stuff that annoys you on a daily basis is probably batshit crazy. And this is not to make yourself feel more crappy about yourself. It's not to inflict shame or guilt. It's to help you recognize that children are not less than adults. They're not on this lower pedestal. And so they are crazier and they deserve less respect than adults. Adults are the ones with a fully developed brain. We're the ones with the developed brain still acting as a toddler in most situations. On the other hand, children, their brain is so far from developed. It is changing and growing and morphing every day, every week, every month. They are not mini adults. They are so far from a mini adult. If you think your two-year-old should be acting like a 30-year-old, That is as anti-science as it could be. Your child's two-year-old brain is so far from an adult brain. It is impossible for a two-year-old to act like an adult. It's impossible to expect a three-year-old or a five-year-old to act like an adult. But an adult should be acting like an adult because we have the fully developed brain. We should not be tantruming over a person driving slow on the road. We should not be tantruming because our child is smacking the table. We are the ones with the fully developed brain, but that doesn't mean we learned coping mechanisms. That doesn't mean we learned healthy ways to cope with our anger or anxiety, which is what the missing piece is. So a child's brain is not an adult's brain. It is growing and developing at dramatic rates, but it changes every day, it changes every week. They are growing leaps and bounds, but their brain is not like your brain. But an adult's role is to be the mature emotionally intelligent role model for the child to show the child hey this is how you handle anger this is a healthy way to handle anger when you're feeling it in your body or oh you know you're disappointed this is how we can deal with disappointment or just to label emotions felt in a body is a very emotionally intelligent tactic that a lot of adults don't even know how to do. So many adults. I feel like I didn't even know how to label shame inside my body until I was maybe 28, maybe 27. 
I didn't understand what shame felt like and how to label that feeling inside my body until I was that old. So if an adult doesn't even know how to handle anger inside their body, like they don't know how to model that for the child yet, the first step is learning how to label an emotion felt in your body. But yes, the problem is that most of us don't even know how to do it ourselves. Most of us don't even know healthy ways to deal with anger inside of our body because we purposely poison ourselves with alcohol to deal with that anger. Or we're so angry, we give the silent treatment to our partner instead of labeling that emotion, reflecting on it, and being an emotionally intelligent human. But a lot of us weren't taught this. And so we're relearning when we're 20 or 30, or you're reparenting yourself while you're parenting. That's a very common role people are having right now. That's why I follow some really good accounts on Instagram, like Raising Yourself, which is all about if you cannot stand big, big emotions in your toddler and you want to shut their big emotions down, it probably has everything to do with you not allowing yourself to have big emotions and you shutting down your own big emotions because we basically project everything onto everyone around us of how we feel and how we deal with things in our own bodies and towards our own selves. So if we're really, really, really hard on our children about cleaning or doing the schoolwork to get A's, that we're just you know, demanding perfection from our children, it's very likely that you demand perfectionism out of your own self, either perfectionism in parenthood, you need to be the perfect mom. So you project that onto your children that they need to be the perfect child to reflect back onto you that you are the perfect parent as if perfectionism exists. But if we had, a, if we had parents that shamed us for every little thing, we might think perfectionism is the only way to deal with avoiding shame. You know, if we're so perfect, then we never have to feel shame. Or we project our fears onto our children. My friend told me this amazing story. She had this self-awareness in this moment where her children, her little toddlers, were staring at people. And she felt so embarrassed because her children were staring. And she said, hey, stop stop, we don't stare at people. And it was later on that she was reflecting on that moment. And she had this mom guilt of, I can't believe I shut down their curiosity and their wonder because of my fear of what these people were thinking of my children staring. So she realized and recognized that she said to her children, hey, stop staring, we don't stare or however she said it, whatever she said, she said, stop staring to her children. Stop staring at these other people. And it's because of her fear of what other people would think about her children. So this is what you do to your children or what you do to your spouse 
shows you everything that's going on inside of you. It's showing you your fears. So that's why I recorded that episode about fear in parenthood. Because we are just so terribly afraid of what people will think about us or what will people think about our children. Or even this happens with your spouse like or your partner. So something my husband does that has annoyed me is Oh, when he tells stories, he really exaggerates details. And he tells a story in a really long, drawn-out way. And when I'm listening to his story, I start feeling agitated and irritated and embarrassed that his story is so drawn out. But what's really happening in that moment is that I'm embarrassed about how they're viewing me or him in a negative light. Like, oh, wow, this story is so boring. It's so long. I am in fear of what people are judging him or judging us on or how they are, um, you know, judging his story. That's just my fear. It's something I'm constantly trying to work on. And I am the partner that corrects his exaggerated details. There is usually... In a partnership, there's usually one person that is very realistic and truthful with every single detail. And then there's usually another partner that exaggerates the truth. And I've seen this with many partnerships, and this is what happens in my marriage too, is that when my husband is telling a story, he exaggerates the truth. And I say, no, this was was how it was. Like, No, we didn't wait for two hours. We probably waited an hour. And I interject with these little bits of truth because I can't help it. Of course, I probably could help it. But I value the truth so intensely that I don't let him just tell his story. Like I need to interject with my little little bits of truth so that people get the real story. They get the truthful story. And I watch this happen. I watch this happen in a lot of relationships because, of course, we are with our opposite and we are with our opposite so that we can see our shit. If we were with someone exactly like us, I do think we would still see our shit, but I think when we're with our opposite, it's even more challenging because we see how we want to change them or tweak them or all the ways in which they are different than us and we're not okay with it. And in the honeymoon stage, we were very okay with it. We didn't see any differences. And then it all changes. And it's all for our growth and it's all for our own benefit. So to wrap this up, see if you can observe the child that's in your life and how They find joy and happiness in all ways, in all things, in the most simple, mundane things and situations. And then observe the most ridiculous, the most outrageous ways that we get angry and annoyed in our daily life. You don't need to feel guilt and shame over it. You can just be happy that you are gaining this awareness. And then tomorrow is a new day, new slate, 
we could be a little better than we were today and that's all we could ever try to do.